It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is a podcast from The Times, sports newspaper of the year. Welcome to the Games, an audio take on the Olympics from the Times. And I've spent the last several hours arguing over who would win over 400 metres, Usain Bolt or David Radisha. They were both absolutely incredible in the 200 and 800 last night, so let's make it happen. In today's edition of the programme, I'm going to speak to Alison Rudd about BMX star Sinead Reid. But first, let's hear quite literally from the voice of the Times, the editor, James Harding. It must be quite nice having had uh, such good news on the front of the paper for the last two weeks. Not not just such good news, but such amazing photography, such amazing images of people. Um, Yes, I think like everyone, we've been dazzled, amazed by it. Um, We obviously spent a long time, about a year and a half, planning for the Olympics. So we knew that it was going to be extraordinary. As a paper, we'd been very enthusiastic about the Olympics coming to London. We'd campaigned for it um, when the UK was bidding. Um, But like everyone, I think it's exceeded our expectations. Did did you at any point fear that uh, things might go wrong? I I know there was so much made of Greece struggling to get Athens ready on time, and there was much made of the authoritarian approach that Beijing had made. And then a few a few stories dripped out before the games, you know, about uh, security and transport, but not a lot. No. Did you remain convinced? There was uh, so so the there were there were about a run, wasn't there? About of a fortnight of oh no, the immigration story, and then oh no, the G4S story, and then oh dear, the Zill Lane story. And actually, I wasn't bothered by any of those. The only one that did really get to me, and it really got to me, was the weather. <laughs> yeah. uh, we'd had weeks and weeks of just terrible, terrible mm. weather, and I thought, oh no, the world is going to come to London and see the city that I love, and it's going to get wet and be miserable. And um, as you may have seen, uh, we started our campaign on the weather, one of the great, great thundering campaigns of the times, and more or less the weather has uh, answered our call. So it's, <laughs> we've, had a bit, we've had a bit more drizzle than I would have liked, and not quite as many glorious sunny days as you would have wished for, um, but actually more or less the weather's held off. So the world has come to London, and yeah. I wonder, do you think it's seen the British character being redefined? Are, are we different to how the world saw us before? I think it's really hard to judge that because we see 
the world through this mixture of personal experiences and odd national stereotypes and prejudices. And no doubt the world sees us in that way too. I think the interesting thing about the Games has been as well as being a fantastic fortnight of enjoyment, it's also been quite a, a couple of weeks of self-examination. We've thought a bit about ourselves. Um, and I think the ways in which we've seen ourselves have largely been tremendously for the good. So um, the volunteers made you realize how much uh, untapped goodwill there is. Um, the the nature of our, our champions, our Olympic champions, um, where their families hail from, the way uh, they've made it in the world in this country, the sense of the sense that if you really commit yourself, if you really do the work that you can achieve anything, that's been fantastically um, uh, a fantastically dominant thought. And you know, odd. You know, sometimes the Brits succumb to this idea of effortless success. And one of the terrific things about the Olympic Games is you bury that idea of effortless success. It's really clear that the people who've won uh, have won because they got up early in the morning and they trained six, seven, it sometimes feels eight days a week. And um, and that's been incredibly impressive. So yes, I do think I do think we've thought differently about our about ourselves and I think by and large, in fact overwhelmingly to the good. I, I wonder as well. Uh, I mean, I guess, I guess the reason why I asked was uh, we we are known for moaning. Yeah. I, I'm not necessarily we're not necessarily a negative nation, but we yeah. do like a moan. Yes. And the whole stiff upper lip. I mean, how, how many male and female athletes have appeared in in the paper with tears rolling down their cheeks? Yes, that's right. I saw we had a headline this morning, didn't we? Describe calling these the crying games. Yeah. And I know a lot of people want to. Um, have a sort of moniker for the games, the people's games or the emotional games. Actually, there's something wonderful about it being the crying games. Of all things, that people came to London and found that they were wonderfully emotional. It was a, it's been a very expressive um, time. Uh, yeah, I guess they wouldn't have expected, they wouldn't have expected that. Um, but yeah, I, that I guess is one of the many ways in which it surprised. The other thing we should also say is that, of course, one of the things you've seen a lot of in the photography and the writing is uh, an attempt to capture that emotion. Mm -hmm. It's also been, Touchwood so far, a really well-run games. One of the things that we worried about, and if you look back, we thought, oh, no, the traffic will be a disaster, um, or there will be these real snarl-ups around tickets and touts. Actually, uh, the games has been really well-run. And I think there's a big idea there that will dominate the way lots of people think afterwards, which is, if you commit yourself to a big project, you can do it in this country. You can do it there's a combination of the way in which the government uh, interacts with business as long as you really then uh, apply yourself to the detail. And it feels as though so far, as I say, touch wood, that's happened. Uh, let's uh, talk about the rap in the paper. You, yeah. You've dedicated the front and back page every day uh, to, to some incredible photographs. Uh, Mark Aspland, um, I spoke to a number of times over the last few weeks, who's been responsible for many, many great images. What, what was the decision behind that? Well, you know, the Times um, 
has long prided itself on the visual display of what it does. You know, we were one of the first, uh, we were the first newspaper to bring sketches of warfare onto our our pages. We, uh, in recent years, have transformed um, graphics in newspapers and, and believe very much in telling stories visually. And of course, one of the questions is, when you are... Um, living in an age where people can look at video, not just on TV screens, but on screens anywhere, how are you going to have the biggest impact and capture the, the not just the emotional drama, but actually the, the physical drama of sport? And we looked at a number of different ways of doing that and then realized that Curiously, the the physical shape of the paper and the physical constraints uh, of the paper could be turned to our advantage. And by wrapping these pictures around the paper, you would not only have what we hoped would be, and I think has proved to be, incredibly powerful front page images, but a secondary hit, a reveal. Um, and that's what we've hoped to do day in, day out, is give people a sense uh, of, the, of the extraordinary physical drama of the games. And we've got these, as you say, amazing photographers, um, you know, not just, uh, you know, Mark, but, you know, a host of others, you know, Graham and Paul mm. and a bunch of others too, who've just, you know, had, a, had an amazing time. And we wanted their work to really show on the front page of the paper. What do you think the defining image from this games will be? I mean, I, I know there's still a few days to go. There are still stories to be told. The, we don't know the answer because every day you get a new image um, and the last one sits on you so, um, so powerfully. I think that th- the experience that the country had watching Mo Farah run will be something that everyone will remember for the rest of their lives. And they'll, uh, they'll remember what we did in rowing and they'll remember what we did in cycling and they'll remember, uh, uh, no doubt, too, the amazing images from Greenwich. Um, and, and visually, um, the Wigginses and the Hoys and the, and the Trots and the Kennedys have been amazing. But that one run, you know, because we sat and we waited and we watched... Um, uh, I think it had, there, there were probably 20 million hearts in mouths, and I think that will probably be the image. But as I said, you know, um, we've got three or four days left. We, we don't know the answer yet. Uh, finally, uh, we're nearly over now. Uh, in terms of the legacy, uh, how important is it now that they get this right, that the, there is a long-term future for the stadium, there's a long-term future for the park, and there is uh, a long-term future established for the development of our of our future athletes. Will is is this the climax, or is this the, the beginning of a long decline? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great, great final question. I think that um, they're different things. When people talk about legacy, they're different things. So, is there going to be a circus around the stadium? Um, yes. I don't think there's going to be some pretty handover. There are going to be lots of arguments about who is the best next uh, tenant, how much do they charge, and it'll all get pretty muddy uh, pretty quickly. And people will say, how is it possible that in this glorious stadium uh, where people were doing such magnificent things a fortnight ago, we're already having a you know nasty and grubby argument <laughs> about the Reds? That will definitely happen, and it won't be very edifying, but that'll happen. I think in terms 
of the the transformation of the city of London, that legacy has already begun. That London has tilted on its axis. We have now uh, a, a a waiting in the east of London that just didn't exist before, and that's not just the Olympic Park. You look at Westfield. You look at the use of city airport. You look at just the transformation of East London. That's begun, and it's going to only continue. Um, so I think that's a really exciting thing. I think legacy in terms of sport. I think that's a really big problem, but I think a fixable one. I think that if uh, uh, private sector companies that have been sponsors of sport can figure out a way of working with the government to invest in particular sports, we can see, as we've seen with something like Team Sky, that you can invest in a sport and have a tran- you know, really extraordinary effect. So I'm quite upbeat on that. The really big question, I think, is what is, if you like, the psychological legacy of the Olympics? Will we stand back and say, that was a one-off, uh, but let's not do any multi-billion pound uh, big projects again? Or do we stand back and say, you know what, we've had probably for a quarter of a century a real reluctance to do big government-funded or government-sanctioned projects that remake the economy or remake the geography of the country. Um, Should we do it again? And there will be a big debate about that. And that, I think, will be the most interesting part of the legacy. Here at The Times, Alison Rudd gets all of the best jobs. Uh, later on today, she is at the BMX watching Sinead's read, but not on her own. Alison, I believe you're watching it with someone very close to Sinead's. Yes, I'm going to watch it with a, a young lady called Kareen, who is uh, her very best friend. They're inseparable, apparently. Uh, really good mates, someone who's been with her every step of the way. So who better to sit next to than somebody who's seen Sinead sort of think about giving it up or seen how much she's desperate to win it and, and all the ups and downs. And it'd be quite nice to sit next to someone with more than that who, who knows they have to pick up the pieces afterwards if something goes wrong. And, and uh, with Sinead's read, that, that's a really relevant situation given what happened to her in uh, Beijing 2008. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, this is the second time BMX has, has been in the Olympics and, and Sinead knows better than anybody that you can crash out of it, which she did on the final bend, looking like she would win um, a gold. Uh, this is her chance to, to make amends. And... Uh, I mean, you know, quite a few people said to me, why, oh, why is this sport there? It's lethal. I mean, there are crashes galore. And I think probably BMX is the is a prime example of a sport where it's all about the risks you take and um, whether you make the right decision when you, when you take the risk. Sometimes unless you take the risk, you're not going to win. So you... You, you, you have to make the right decision. I mean, in BMX, if you get it wrong, you can, you can be very badly injured. I mean, in other sports, you won't be badly injured, but, but you'll lose the chance of gold. And strangely enough, when I was watching um, the start of the rhythmic gymnastics yesterday okay. at the, Wembley, This is the sexist gymnastics, isn't it? The what gymnastics? The one, the one that doesn't let men compete. Is that the yeah, one? Yeah, that's the one. Although I did, there were a few blokes around wearing... Uh, bright blue lycra so I think I think they get involved in some way but um, I mean Britain first time they competed as a team and they were fantastic they were they were incredibly beautiful and they didn't make any mistakes but didn't take any risks either I mean so anyone watching for the first time would say wow that's a gold medal winning performance and they, they got quite a poor mark because in that sport they're interested in you taking risks and then getting it right and it, and it is a, a really spectacular sport. In, in the office, when there was a race yesterday, wasn't there, where one guy was left on his bike, and, and the office kind of erupted. <laughs> I 
makes it sound like a very mean office, if you ask me. This <laughs> <laughs> is car, what, not, car no, crash not, telly. Not car in laughter. Telly. <laughs> not in laughter. But all of a sudden, it was one of those moments where you know everyone's very quiet, yeah. doing their job, and all of a sudden you realise that everyone was in fact actually doing the same thing and watching the BMX riding. Yeah. No, it's it's. And also, we don't see a lot of it, do we? So, no. I mean, it's a treat in that sense. And it's got this huge stage suddenly, which is which is marvellous for the sport. Uh, finally, on Sinead's read, I've heard mixed things about her chances of a medal. What do you think? Well, she won the test event, and it is about the course. Um, I would say she's got a really good chance. That's all for now. It's the final edition of this podcast tomorrow. Are we going to drift off to football and forget about triathlon, handball, dressage and taekwondo? I really hope not, but let me know your thoughts by tweeting using the hashtag MyOlympics or tweeting me at Producer Chris. If you've got an iPad or tablet, you should try our app. It's amazing. Go to timespacks.co.uk and find out just how great it is. Bye-bye. Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times and it brings together the real-life stories from our obituaries desk, which have been published for over a century. In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. (laughs) (laughs) You will be (laughs) Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like... You know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> this was like wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, <laughs> yeah, you, you were different. Like, you were real different, bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected yeah. things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.